And, you know, there was something I wanted to comment on, and I thought I would do it at this moment, and it kind of ties in with some of the passages that John read. But this morning in Sunday school, we read Colossians chapter 1. And uh, I, I saw something, and maybe with fresh eyes, that, that, you know, I'd read a bunch of times before, and it just kind of had new meaning for me. But you know in the passage where it says that all things were created by him and for him? Y'all remember that? You know that for him... I want to tell you something that I felt like God spoke to my heart, that when God created us and he created creation, he was creating it for Jesus to rule. He was creating it with the idea and, and, and the, the knowledge that Jesus would one day take on our humanity and be our king in this creation that he was that he was creating. He, he wasn't creating something for himself to sit off there in, uh, in his heaven and for us to be here on the kingdom of earth without him. He was willing, he created this so that he himself might enter into it and be a part of us. And I'm not sure that's really speaking to you or you're following my train of thought, but that just, uh, just encouraged me all the more this morning as I thought about how God created all this for himself to enter it. One day knowing he would enter it and live with us and be with us and take on his creature's creatureliness for us. And I was greatly encouraged by that. This is July 1st and Wednesday is July 4th. And I want to just mention this is a great opportunity for those of us who follow Jesus to, to do two things. One, to be thankful for the nation that God created when he created America. Uh, you know, our nation's been greatly used by God throughout the years for the, uh, for the extension of the gospel, for carrying the gospel. We've been one of the greatest missionary-sending nations in the world, although I think South Korea has now surpassed us in sending missionaries. But, uh, but God has greatly used us. And so this is a great opportunity for those of us who follow Jesus to, to be thankful for America, be thankful for our nation. So I would really encourage you um, to, to do that this, uh, this week. And the second thing I want to mention is that this is a great opportunity for us to pray for our nation. Okay? And, uh, and as, as you pray for America, in fact, some of the things I'm going to say this morning, I'm going to bring this topic up again in my talk. But as you pray, can I just, uh, I want to encourage you with something. It's, it's something I felt like, you know, Mike, Mike talked about in his Facebook, and it's something that greatly disturbs me personally. And uh, so I really want to encourage those of us who follow Jesus because we have a double allegiance. We, you know, our, and our first allegiance, by the way, our first allegiance is to the kingdom of God. It's not to our country. It's to the kingdom of God. And, and if you want to say there's, there's, no, there's no dichotomy there, there is a dichotomy. There is a difference between our nation and the kingdom of God. And our first allegiance is, is to the Lord Jesus, to our king and to his kingdom. But at the same time, we are Americans. And so we have an allegiance. Most of us in this room, maybe all of us are Americans. And so we have an allegiance to our nation as well. And so I would, here's the thing I would like to encourage you as you pray and as you debate and as you speak forth your convictions. Uh, you know, remember who we are. Remember who we are. We are followers of the Lord Jesus. And, uh, and, and the thing that I'm alluding to, Mike, that you put on your Facebook was just this call to civility, to, to those of us that follow Jesus, to be different from everyone around us. What I mean by that is we have every right, like everyone else in our nation, to argue for our worldview, to argue for our policies that we think are best for our nation. We have, I mean, we have an obligation to do that. 
but, but we need to do it with civility. And here's one thing I want to say to you, and you need to take this to heart, everyone, and, and this is for free. <laughs> no charge for this. The, the rudeness and in, in incivility, is it incivility or uncivility? It's incivility, right? The rudeness and incivility of others doesn't justify your own. I, I don't care how anybody else is. I, I have lots of friends on my face, in my Facebook world that are on the other side of, of things that, than I am, and they constantly... And they constantly admonish me, you know, and, and, and they admonish me because I refuse to go along with the incivility on both sides. And I call both sides out. And, uh, you know, but the other side, I mean, they don't know Jesus. They don't know our Savior. They don't know our King. They haven't been regenerated. They don't have a new spirit. They don't have the power of the Holy Spirit working in them. In them. I mean, so I, I understand it more in them than I understand it in us. So I really challenge you, beloved, as you pray for our nation, as you speak up for truth and apply it to, to where we are in our nation today, man, be sure to do it with, uh, with civility, with grace. Jesus told us to speak, the, uh, to speak truth, didn't he? He said, speak the truth, but he didn't leave it there. He said, speak the truth in... Okay, so that means our rudeness, our sarcasm, our memes that aren't true, all of that kind of stuff... You need to stay away from that, and you need to stop that, because that's not who we are as the people of God. So stand for truth, speak for truth, but uh, anyway, there's my little bit there, but this is a great time for us to do that as we remember the founding, the founding of our nation. Mike, come on up here. Mike Tuck has arrived, and uh, we're thankful to God for that. And, and I want to I say thank you to all of you that showed up to move them in because I was worried that we wouldn't be very many, but we overwhelmed them, and so that was wonderful. And uh, so Mike's going to read our scripture this morning, say anything he wants to say, but read our scripture and then lead us in prayer. Today we'll be reading uh, Romans 6, 1 through 14. I will. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. And we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let no sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. 
because we are Christians, because we have been given life through Jesus Christ and he is alive today, we have the ability through the Holy Spirit to live the truth of God. Not our own truth, not the world's truth. We can live as God is our king versus us being king. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your freedom, your freedom from sin, your freedom from shame. We ask that you empower us by your spirit every day as we read your word, as we study it, to live as Christ lived, to be a light in this world, to know what you have done on the cross for us through Jesus Christ, to live in that freedom and to love and share the truth of God. For you want all to be under your dominion because there is freedom in you. Lord, United States of America, we need you. We need your guidance. As Christians in this nation, we need your love for this nation. Give us the words to speak. Give us the actions to speak in love. And may we, we represent Christ, the, the kingdom that can never be destroyed, that we are part of. May we care for this nation. May we give to this nation as you commanded us to give and give to you as well. Help us to know your truth and to stand up for the truth and do it in love. In Jesus' name, amen. Dismiss Children's Church now. And uh, while they're going, turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9. Follow the quick one. I was sitting there this morning, in, uh, as, just a minute ago actually, I was sitting there thinking, man, it's been a long time since I've had a joke to start out my talk with, right? And uh, I don't know if it's just the seriousness of the, of the, of the text or just I'm losing it in my old age. So I, I need to find something to lighten us up because I think my, my thoughts a minute ago were kind of heavy and uh, I, don't mean to, to make us, I don't mean to make us feel heavy. I, I want to encourage us in the Lord. If you happen to be our guest this morning, and I think I saw a couple of guests, we're really glad you're here today, and the book that records a bunch of visions that Daniel had toward the end of his life and actually towards the fall of Babylon and the, and the coming of the kingdom of the Medo-Persians, and so that's where the visions actually fall. Chapter 9 is a little bit different, at least in, in, its, majority, in its majority text. It's a little bit different because what we're going to find in Daniel chapter 9 is a prayer that Daniel offers after reading the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament. And so well, that's actually where we're going to focus on this morning. So as I begin, I want to ask you a rhetorical question. Why did God give us the Bible? Why did God give us the Bible? I want to answer my rhetorical question, and here's the answer. It wasn't just so that we would know certain things, and then in knowing those certain things, we get our ticket punched unto eternal life. The Bible wasn't given to us just to know certain things. The Bible isn't just a book so that I know more and believe right and therefore be accepted by God. That's not why we have the Bible, and it's not why, by the way, it's not why Jesus came. God sent Jesus uh, 
to appropriate for us a way unto eternal life, so that we might receive immortality, so that we might live and have joy with him. But Jesus, listen to me carefully here, because so often we reduce Jesus just down to his atoning work on the cross. And, and, and indeed, that is paramount. But the thing that I want you to see is that Jesus came to do so much more. He came to equip us. He came to prepare us. He came to show us. He came to teach us. And if you would, by giving us his spirit after he left, he came to enable us to live in this life and in this world in a way that, that touches our world and even transforms our world. In fact, I want to suggest to us this morning that the entire Bible was given not just what we should know, but how to live as followers of Jesus. And that would include the Old Testament. And even more germane to our conversation this morning, it would include this book of antiquity, this book that we call the book of Daniel. And in fact, it would include these apocalyptic visions that are so weird and have to do with times past or times in the future that oftentimes we don't even know what specifically maybe God was referencing. Even those things have been given so that we might live for God. The things even that Michael just prayed. The Bible itself says that all Scripture is given to us by God, uh, by inspiration, and is profitable to us. And so all of it's profitable, including this prayer of Daniel chapter 9 that we're going to be looking at this morning. That, that is the truth. Now, I'll be the first to affirm that, that some of it seems more profitable than others, right? It's why we spend most of our time reading in the Old Testament and not the genealogies in the, in the book of Numbers or something of that nature, right? But, but all of it has been given by inspiration, and all of it is profitable to us. Now, today, in this majority text of chapter 9, we're going to see a glimpse into Daniel's life. And as I looked at the text, and I was asking God, as I always do, God, what is it that I'm supposed to say? What, what, what does this text, how does this text, text impact our lives? Well, there was two activities that Daniel was engaged in in the text that I felt like God is saying, here's an illustration of, of how I want all of my children to be. This, this life that Daniel's living, this is an illustration of how I want you to be. And so that's my challenge. We're going to look at Daniel's life, and, and I'm, going to, I'm going to call us to, encourage us to do these two spiritual activities that Daniel's involved in. Now, let, let's let, dive into the text. I want to give you my two things right off the bat, or at least I'm going to give you the first one, and then we'll jump into the text. The first thing that Daniel's doing that I believe that God wants us to do is this. God wants us... That was going to be uh, innovative or novel today. It's definitely not. Daniel's life is, is an, live with so many extraordinary moments that we've been looking at, right? I mean, being thrown into a, a den of lions, interpreting dreams that he hasn't even dreamt of himself, doesn't even get to hear what they are, and he has to interpret them. His friends, you know, being thrown into a furnace of fire and not burning. Those, those are extraordinary moments. But most of Daniel's life is lived like ours. And you know what that means? From the ordinary to the ordinary. I mean, it's just the everyday grind. That is how Daniel lived. And, and to be honest with you, Micah's message from a few weeks ago basically made that point, that in the ordinary grind of life, in the ordinary moments of life, Daniel lived faithfully to God, and that's what we should do. So there, you know, Daniel's life has is, is got some extraordinary moments like maybe some of your lives have. I, I, there's a couple of extraordinary moments in my life. I'm not going to go into them now, but there's some things that I consider extraordinary when it comes to my relationship with God. 
And, and, and so all of us have those, but it's the ordinary stuff. And here we find the ordinary life of Daniel. And in the ordinary life of Daniel, the thing that I want you to see is that he's spending time getting to know his Bible. And that's what I want to challenge you to do, to spend time getting to know your Bible. So Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Azuerus, the Me of Median descent, who was made king over the kingdom of the Chaldeans, that is the Babylonians, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, observed in the books the number of years which was revealed as the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet for the completion of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So I gave my attention to the Lord to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. So the number of years, uh, probably around year three of, um, of, of uh, what's his name, Belteshazzar, this is the first year of Darius, so probably 10 years have come by. This is, Daniel probably is now in his late 70s, early 80s. And here's what I want you to note. He's reading the book of Jeremiah. Now you might remember that in, in our study of the, uh, of the prophets, Jeremiah was the last prophet, the last major prophet of the pre-exilic time. In fact, Jeremiah lived into some of the captivity, and he would, he would be telling people for God, but they wouldn't listen. You remember, they, they kind of tormented him, they punished him, they imprisoned him, but Dan, uh, Jeremiah wrote down that God, you know, was, was going to hold them in captivity for 70 years. And again, the point that I want you to see that's, that's very interesting is that Daniel is reading the book of Jeremiah and he's seeking to understand his Bible, or at least one of the books of the Bible that he had. And that is something that, that here's my challenge, it's really simple, it's just like, ah, you know, you guys know this so well, but God wants us, desires us to know his Bible. He always has. When I started this point, I wrote down this. Daniel was reading his Bible, and God wants us to read his Bible, to read our Bibles, to read his Bible. And as I wrote that down, it occurred to me, though, that most of the world's never had a Bible. Most of the world hasn't been literate. They haven't been reading. So it's hard to say that God wants us to read the Bible when most of the world hasn't had one, and most of the world hasn't been literate. And, and so I, I distill that down to this is what God really wants, is he simply wants you to know his word. And whether that comes by reading or whether it comes by somebody reading it to you or whether it comes by listening to teachers explain it to you, God wants us to know his word. And I want to give you two reasons why he does. Number one, he wants you to know his word because he speaks in it. I mean, God speaks in the book, in the book that you have. He's speaking to us. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed. I mean, that's kind of one of those fun, foundational truths for us, that God has breathed out, God has inspired, God has given us what he wants us to know in his Bible. And Peter concurs, when Peter wrote in his second letter, he said, for no prophecy has ever been produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So Peter agrees with, uh, with what um, Paul says in Timothy, that, that God is the author, that God is speaking to us in his word. Isaiah 55, verse 11, and this is God, Isaiah is writing down what God says to him. He says, so shall my mouth be that goes out, so shall my word be, excuse me, that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. So here's why you should want to know your Bibles, because God is speaking in it. 
Now, I know I'm making that statement. I'm not defending it. If you want defense of that, see me afterwards, and we'll talk about how we can defend that truth. But that is the truth that the Bible claims. God is speaking in it. And here's the second reason you should know your Bibles or want to know your Bibles, because the Bible draws an undeniable link between our knowing the Bible or knowing God's Word and our ability to live as God desires us to live, okay? So in the Old Testament, David says things like this, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not, say it, sin against thee, against you. So David understood, hey, there's a correlation between God's word being in my life and me not sinning against this God. And then more specifically, or maybe even more clearly, John writes in his first letter, he says, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected, by this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now here's the questions that David and John are both addressing. How do we walk like God? How do we walk like Christ if we don't know what Christ walked like? If we don't know what, what Jesus says is the way we ought to walk, how can we walk in it? And so one of the reasons why you should be intent on knowing your Bibles or knowing God's Word to you through the Bible is because in the Bible, He reveals to us the instructions on how we ought to live, how I ought to be. He's given us directions in there. In fact, I, I want to suggest that the Bible is the primary means, the primary means by which God clearly teaches us things about Himself and what it means to be obedient to Him and what it looks like to do His will. Now, there's a sense, hear me out and follow my train of thought here, there's a sense in which God has put His laws within our heart. I mean, you know, we have a conscience and God has put His laws within our heart and, that, and that's why you can go to societies that don't have a Bible and, and they, they are doing many things that are true, but, but the heart is deceitful. You know, uh, we've been affected by the fall of man. Every part of us has been touched by that. And, and so, you know, our, our reason and our conscience are imperfect, but the Word of God gives us the clear truth that we are to do. So whether you read it or it's read to you or you listen to teachers teach it, you know, whatever you do, get to know the Word of God. That's what Daniel was doing, and that's what God desires of us. Now, I, I want to, my, my two reasons imply this, but I, I want to make it really, really clear, and I want to state it. We should want to know the Word of God. We should want to know the Word of God so that we could know how to apply it to our lives. I'm assuming that in my reasons, but I want to state it clearly. It, it's, it's not that you should want to know the Word of God so that you merely know the Word of God you want to know the Word of God so that you might apply it to your life. So Daniel's reading the text in, in, Jeremiah's, in Jeremiah's prophecy, and what he reads is that Jeremiah said from the mouth of God, it's going to be 70 years by which you will be in exile. And when Daniel reads that, he begins to do the math. And he says, man, we're there. It's been 70 years. And so now Daniel is going to take the Word of God and he's going to apply it to his life because evidently that's how Daniel is reading the Bible. He's reading it to apply it. He's reading it to understand what it means for him and how it ought to work out in his life. And so what that means for you is that when you read your Bible, you ought to read it. If the shoe fits, you ought to put the shoe on. 
And if you don't understand my metaphor, my metaphor simply means this. If you're reading it and, and you know it applies to you, you ought to obey it. So when God tells you to love people and to give generously and to care intensely for the poor and to fight injustice in the world and to lift people up and to prefer others as more important than yourselves, you should not read that simply so you can quote a verse. You should read that and say, that's me. That's what I need to do. That's who I need to be as a follower of Christ. When the Bible tells us that we should not commit adultery, then that's for us. We should not commit adultery. I don't care what you think your excuses are. You should not commit adultery. It says in the scripture, you should not have premarital sex with someone you have not been willing to marry yet. And so here's the deal, everybody. You should not have sex outside of marriage, not because God's trying to be cruel, but because God knows that there is such a benefit in keeping sex within the marital relationship. He says you shouldn't do that. And that applies to you. It doesn't apply to another generation. It doesn't apply to someone else. It applies to you. And so when God tells you you should be a kind person, that applies to you. You should be a kind person. You should be a humble person and not an arrogant person. Why? Because that's what the Bible says you should be. And when you're reading it and it applies to you, you should live it out. When it says you should be gentle and not harsh, that's who you should be. You should be gentle and not harsh. In other words, you're following, I'm stating the obvious, okay, but it's just, it's, we need to hear it over and over and over again. I don't read the Bible so I can win the trivia contest at my house on Friday night when everybody's playing Bible trivia. That's not why I read my Bible. I don't read my Bible. So many of us do this. We read our Bible so we can say, hey, I read through my Bible this year. Or, or, or maybe we won't tell anybody, but in our own heart, we're like, I read my Bible today, God. I checked that off, right? Now, that's not why you read your Bible. You read your Bible so that you can understand what it means to you. And you can say, God, this is how I intend to live out what you're telling me. I can remember as a young man reading this text. I, I had to sit there at my desk and think, when I was a young follower of Jesus, what text did this for me? And this was one of them. It was Matthew 21. Actually, there's a couple of them in Matthew, but this is, this is the one I wrote down. Matthew 21, Jesus says, What do you think? A man had two sons. And he came to be the first. He came to the first and he said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterwards he regretted it and went. The man came to the second and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Jesus then asked this question. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they're listening. They're smart. They said the first one did. And Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. I'm telling you, that was a bam, wasn't it? I mean, here's the Pharisees, the religious people, and Jesus talks about doing the word as opposed to just hearing it and not doing it. And I can remember as a young Christian, a, a guy who grew up in the church, a guy who's, who's the second son, who knows but is not doing. And I can remember God used this verse in part to change me to recognize that my good intentions were not enough. What mattered was my willingness to take the word of God and apply it to my life. 
and to obey it and to walk in it and not to, not to be an outward phony, I mean, not to be an inward phony and outward some kind of conformist, but to be somebody who inwardly wanted to follow Christ. So let me ask you this morning, do you read your Bible so that you can ask yourself, and, and maybe not reading, do you, do you listen to it on cassette when you're driving to work? Do, do, you, do you listen to other people teach you the Bible? Whatever you do, right, do you do it so that you might say, God, I want to know you better. I want to know your will better so that I might love you. I might love you more fervently and follow Jesus more tenaciously. And that's why, that's why we ought to read. And, and, and maybe I'm reading too much into Daniel, but I, but I think that's what Daniel was doing. He was reading his Bible to say, God, how does this apply to me? And when he read of the 70 years, I mean, he saw it. And so he did something in response to that. That's number one. So first, God wants us to follow Daniel's example and know our Bibles. Number two, God wants us to pray. <laughs> Again, uh, nothing, nothing novel this morning, okay? God wants us to pray. After Daniel had read, he prayed. Let's look at verse 3 again. I'm gonna actually, I'm going to read most of the prayer, so follow along. It's, we're going to read this, so it's kind of lengthy. So, I, I gave my attention to the Lord, this is Daniel, to the Lord God, to seek him by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed and said, Alas, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who, who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and committed iniquity and acted wickedly and rebelled, even turned aside from your commandments and ordinances. Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to your kings, our, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and all the people of the land. Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame, as it is this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all of Israel, those who are nearby and those who are far away in all the countries to which you have driven them because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princesses, our fathers, because we've sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. Nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings, which he set before us through his servants, the prophets. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice, so that the curse has been poured out on, on us along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against him. Thus we have confirmed his words, which he had spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us, to bring on us great calamity, for under the whole heaven there, is, there has not been done anything like this, what has been done to Jerusalem. That was 70 years earlier. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept this calamity in store and brought it on us. For the Lord our God is, a righteous, is righteous with respect to all his deeds, which he has done, but we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, we have brought your people out of, now God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as it is this day. We have sinned. We have been wicked. Now, I'm not going to take his prayer line by line, okay? Instead, what I want you to do is just notice four aspects of his prayer, and I want to challenge us to make these four aspects part of our prayers. The first, the, the first aspect of Daniel's prayer is this. His prayer is intentional and on purpose. Verse 3, I, Daniel, was reading in Jeremiah. I read about the 70 years. I did the math and recognized the 70 years were up, 
And in verse 3, I set out to, and I quote, seek him by prayer and supplication with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Daniel's read what God has said, and he, seeks out to, he sets out to seek God, to, for God to restore Jerusalem, for God to restore Israel. He's intent on making sure that God does not change his mind out of what he has promised already. Now you have to appreciate Daniel's humility and his determination. In verse 3, he takes off his royal garb. Remember, he's, he's part of nobility. He's, part of, he's like number one in Darius's kingdom. He takes all of that off. He puts, he puts sackcloth on. I mean, I don't get this. I mean, it's a, it's a physical way of, it's a physical way of demonstrating his humility. And I, I, I got to talk to you about this. Does it bother anybody else that we sing, we bow to our knees, and none of us do? It bothered me today. I guess because we kept singing it over and over, and I kept thinking, God, we should be singing from our knees because we're saying we bow down on our knees, and none of us are doing that. I say that because Daniel here wants to humble himself, and so what he does is he actually lives it out. He, he takes off his royal privileged garb, and he puts on sackcloth, and he puts ashes on his head, which is a symbol of humility, and, and he begins to pray, and he begins to seek the Lord, and he's seeking the Lord for one specific thing, and that is that God would restore Israel, as we'll see in just a moment. That's what he's praying for. He's seeking God with intentionality. And, and on purpose, he wants God to do something. Now, I'm very confident that the prayers that I offer and the prayers that you offer and the prayers that we pray as a church should never be always about intentionally seeking the hand of God. I just don't, I don't believe that. But I do believe there are times when, like Daniel, we ought to seek God for his intervention. I mean, for God to interrupt this universe and do something that only he can do. I think we ought to seek God for such things as that. Much of our prayers ought to be just about strengthening our relationship with God. They should be about us just doing life with God and talking with God and, and just, you know, walking with God in life. But there are times for us to seek God with intentionality. And, and here's something about Daniel. He's not really seeking for himself. Daniel's old. He's in his 80s. He knows what David said, that, hey, 70 years are given to man, maybe 80 if he's really strong. Daniel knows he's never going back to Israel. He is praying, though, for God to do something for God. He's praying for others. He's intervening for others. And I just really want to, you know, I thought about this. When was the last time that I really sought the Lord like Daniel seeking here on purpose for somebody else? You know, so you ask me to pray for you, and you know what I do? I pray for you, and I pray for you right then and there. Why? Because I don't want to forget not to pray for you, right? Now, I'm going to hopefully pray for you more, but, but, I, but I, I want to be faithful. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to do it right now, okay? But, but here's my point. Da Daniel, I mean, maybe we can say, well, that's so big, Jimmy. That's so big. You know, when people are dying of cancer or when people lose their job or when, when somebody's child is is in the throes of possible death. That's a big thing for them, right? That's a big thing for them. And so when was the last time we did like Daniel and really humbled ourselves and sought the Lord on purpose for something? But that's what Daniel does. Here's the second aspect of his prayer. His prayer is filled with praise. He acknowledges God from the very get-go. Verse 4, Alas, O Lord, 
the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keeps his commandments and keep his commandments. Verse 7, the right, righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame. Verse 9, to the Lord our God belongs compassion and forgiveness, for we've rebelled against him. Verse 14, for the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all his deeds and all he's done. Verse 15, and now, O Lord God, you have brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself as to this day. Here's what Daniel starts with. And here's what I, here's what I believe God would want of us. And he, Daniel starts by, by just acknowledging how great God is, by expressing appreciation to God. Daniel speaks of God's loving kindness, his compassion, his righteousness, his forgiveness, and his previous works. So when you pray, let me ask you, where do you start with your prayers? I mean, remember, what, what is, Daniel's got a purpose, and he's intent on it. And, and by the way, here's the last thing. It's God restore Jerusalem, and I'm, I'm jumping way ahead, but it's restore Jerusalem and your people. But from, from his intent to seek the Lord, he begins with praise. He begins with appreciation for God. And I really, really want to challenge, I've done this before, but I really want to encourage you to pray like Daniel prayed. And that is, in all your prayers, begin by just expressing the character of God back to him and what you appreciate about it. And, and you say, well, I don't know how to do that, Jimmy. It's real simple. Begin a pr every prayer like this. God, I really appreciate this about you. And then just tell God what you really appreciate about him. Do you appreciate the fact he doesn't give up on you? Do you appreciate that he gives you a second chance? Do you appreciate his forgiveness, his kindness, his goodness? Do you appreciate his holiness and his righteousness and his justice? You ought to, because without those things, the world is chaos and anarchy. I mean, don't you appreciate all that about the Lord? Start our prayers just like Daniel did. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. I don't know exactly what that means, but, but I think what it means is that when, when God's people, i.e. me, but mainly when we're together and we begin our prayers with praise, I mean, the Spirit of God just falls on us and loves that because we're worshiping and we're honoring this great King who is ours. So inhabit, God inhabits the praises of people. Let's begin there. The third aspect of his prayer is that his prayer is overlaid with confessions of sin. So as Daniel begins to pray, he starts with praise and appreciation for God, but then he immediately moves to acknowledgement of their sin. And, and so here's the point that Daniel's making. God, I know we're where we are, not because you are unrighteous, not because you are unforgiving, not because you are unkind, not because you don't keep your word. We're here because of our sin. And so he says in verse 5, we have sinned, committed iniquity, acted wickedly and rebelled, even turned aside from your commandments and ordinances. He continues in verse 6, Moreover, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and all the people of the land. To us, open shame, verse 7, as in this day to the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and all of, Jer of Israel, those who are nearby, those who are far away, who've been driven to other countries by you because of their unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. Verse 8, open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Verse 9, for we have rebelled against him, nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in the teachings which he set before us through his servants, the prophets. Daniel confesses, I mean, all the way through this prayer, he is confessing their wickedness, their rebellion, their shame. He's owning it. He's agreeing with God. God, the reason all this has happened to us, because that is what and who, that is who we have been. 
And we are in this spot today because we deserve it, because you promised through your servant Moses this is exactly what would happen to us if we did not obey. We're here out of your righteousness. God, I confess. I totally agree with you. Now, confession of sin needs to be a part of our regular communication with God as well. We acknowledge him for who he is, but then we're willing to acknowledge our failures when they're real. King David in Psalm 32, by the way, those of you who pray with us on Sunday morning, you'll notice this is the psalm we read, and here's why. Because, Dan, because David prays, he says, How blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And then David says this, When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groanings all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as the fever heat of summer, Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin, Selah. You think Jer uh, Daniel didn't know that psalm? Daniel knew that psalm. And so when Daniel read what he read and he goes to seek the Lord, he said, man, the place for me to begin is exactly what David taught us. I begin with confession. And so he confesses their sin to God. Now, again, one thing to keep in mind, Daniel's, con Daniel's confession, he was a child when he was exiled. He's not, I, I don't believe he's confessing his own rebellion. He's confessing the rebellion of, of, of national Israel, of the, of the country and the people, the nation of Israel. And, and so here's the thing. Daniel has this national Israel mindset. Hey, I, I may have not have been the person who was actually doing the sinning back then, but I'm part of the nation of Israel. And so as part of that corporate identity, I'm, I'm guilty. And so when he's confessing, he's confessing, his sin and their sin as, as a people. So maybe when we're seeking to pray for our country, maybe to embrace a biblical worldview, and we know the text that says righteousness exalts any nation or sin is a reproach to any people. We know that verse. And so we want to pray for the righteousness of America. Let's keep in mind as we pray that we're not confessing someone else's sin. We're, we're confessing our own sin as part of the American country. It's part of the American nation. I mean, we're part of it. And so when, when our nation has turned its back on God in whatever way it might be, we're part of that. And, and by the way, listen, we're part of it because we have not stood for righteousness. We're, you know, they say that, that we look at pornography, uh, pornography as much as the unbeliever does. You know, the divorce rates among us, depending on how they do it, are just as great as the unbeliever. How can that be? There's no such thing as an any-cause divorce. Jesus, Jesus speaks against any cause. He says, no, the any-cause divorce is not right. So our divorce rates are just like the unbelieving world. Our pornography rates are just like the unbelieving world. I, I, you know, and I, I guess, I mean, those two rates came to mind, but, I, you know, there's probably other things. Why are we not different? You know, America's, America maybe has lost its, its idea of what righteousness and morality is because we lost it as the people of God. So when you're confessing about America and where it is, why not confess our own sin before God as believers in the Lord Jesus? That's what Daniel did. He made himself part of, hey, it's my sin. It's our sin. I would really challenge us in that. And the last aspect of his prayer is the petition. It's the, his prayer is a strong petition, and it's a strong petition for God to restore Israel. And so, in, uh, in verse 16, I'm going to read, I'm going to finish reading. 
O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all those around us. So now, our God, listen to the prayers of your servant and to his supplications. And for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of, our, of any merits on our own, but on account of your great compassion. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action for you, for your own sake. O my God, do not delay because your city and your people are called by your name. So having affirmed God's character, having confessed the truth of their own sin, now Daniel appeals to God to restore Israel and to restore Jerusalem and more specifically to restore his temple. And he pleads with God to do so out of his compassion and forgiveness and not out of their meritorious living. We should never be afraid to petition the Father. We should petition the Father often. Jesus told us this. Listen to Jesus. I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. What father among you, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake instead of a fish? Or if he asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more then will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God tells us we don't have because we don't ask. Beloved, here's what Daniel decided, God, I'm going to ask you for what you said you were going to do. And he begins to ask, and he begins to petition, and I, I really want to challenge us to do the same. So those are my two points, and believe it or not, I'm finished. And uh, I do have one more thing I want to say, but that's, that's the Daniel 1 through 19. Daniel's life example is that he sought to understand the Word of God and apply it to his life, and then he prayed. And that's what I really want to challenge us to do. And I want to challenge us to pray like, like Daniel prayed. I mean, incorporate this, not just to those big times when we're going to seek the Lord. And maybe, maybe one thing we ought to take away from Daniel is to really seek the Lord on some of these big things that mean a lot to us. So maybe when there's something really, really huge sitting in front of us, maybe we ought to take time to put on sackcloth and ashes. And, and by that I mean, you know, in our, in our, how would we do that today? Maybe by fasting? You know, but maybe we should do like that for some big things, and not just big things for ourselves. What if we did them for others? What if we, what if we did some kind of really seek God on behalf of others? You know, maybe we should do that. But, but the, the fourth thing, seek the Lord, but then when we, when we pray, incorporate praise, appreciation of God. Incorporate confession. You know, I neglected to say this when I was in the point, but you know what I think we tend to do? We tend to take God's forgiveness for granted, and though we know we've sinned, we forget to confess it. We don't, we don't out loud say to God, God, you are right, I have sinned. We just assume God's forgiveness rather than confessing it. I'd encourage us to confess it and finally to petition the Lord. So Noah's word and pray would be the two operative things for us this morning. But as I was working on this and I was drawing it to a conclusion, I was sitting at my desk reflecting on this and and maybe what I'm going to share with you is not a legitimate application of the text, so forgive me if it's not. I still think it's true what I'm about to share with you. But, um, but, but I thought of something that, that how this text might apply to our, our everyday life. Not, not that the other stuff I have, I've said doesn't apply to our everyday life, but, but it's, in, it's in this direction, between us and God, right? But what about on the horizontal level? What about between me and you? What about between you and you? And here's what I thought the Lord 
kind of spoke to my heart about what, what if we took Daniel's approach to approaching God and we used it in our approach with one another? What if we recognized, if I can illustrate, what if we recognized that in selfishness I've, I've hurt somebody or I've offended somebody? Maybe I, I just was having a bad day and, and, and instead of letting God take my bad day, I take it out on, on my loved one, my, my spouse. And, and maybe it's not even somebody close to me. Maybe it's just somebody I know, but I just I spew on them and I let my unselfish self loose and I, and I offend someone, I hurt someone. And I hurt someone by, by what I've said or how I've said it. I've spoken in irritation. I, you know, I, I'm all too often doing this to Anne, speaking unkindly with irritation, and, and uh, she points it out to me off, often, and I recognize it to be true. And, and so I do that, and you do that, and we do that. What, what do we do? How do I seek restoration when I have offended? When we talk about offending God, Daniel's giving us the way. We, we acknowledge God, and then we confess our sins, and then we, we petition them, right? What if we did this on the horizontal level when I've offended someone? What if when I recognize it, I commence by affirming the positive in the person that I've, that I've offended? What if I started off by, by just humbling myself and expressing appreciation to the person that I've hurt or offended in some way? Talking about, I don't know, I'm not talking about flattery. I'm talking about just affirming the person that I've hurt affirming them in, in whatever way that might be, speaking of my gratefulness for the relationship or, or whatever. And then, I, and then I continue that with confession of wrong. And, and here's where I think it really gets hairy, and here's where it really gets difficult. You know, confessing my wrong. And, and we've talked about this before. I'm not talking about saying I'm sorry. I mean, that is not confession of wrong. I mean, sorry may be included in it, but it's not, I'm sorry. It is an acknowledgement that I have sinned, that I have done wrong, that I have failed. And, and it's owning it, just like, just like Daniel did with regard to God's people before God. We, I own it, God. We have failed you. What if, what if we wanted to restore a broken relationship and we did it by owning our own our own wrongs, without saying something like this, I'm sorry, but if you hadn't have done that, I wouldn't have done that. That never counts. That doesn't count for anything. You might as well say nothing if you're going to say that. Instead, what if you went and you, you just, you continued and you confessed your sin and you said, I, I did wrong. I spoke wrong. I spoke with harshness. I, I spoke with indifference. I, I closed you out. I did wrong. And then you concluded this with this petition, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? I, I know I've hurt you. I own it. Will you forgive me and will you restore the relationship? You know, I, I, as I sat at my desk, and again, this may not be the right application from this text, but I couldn't help but think how, even though there's a, there's a vertical specific in this, in this thing that Daniel was doing in his relationship with God, I, I couldn't help but see how maybe this would help us when we have broken relationships. And I wonder just maybe there'd be somebody here this morning, you've had a broken relationship forever because you've been unwilling to confess your sin. You've been unwilling to take the initiative. Daniel took take the initiative, read it, and he took the initiative with God. You know, maybe we haven't been willing to take the initiative. So maybe it's God that we need to hear this about in our relationship with him, but, but maybe it's somebody else. Thanks for listening. This message has been brought to you by Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. And if you'd like to learn more about our church, please visit us on the web 
at www.baconscastle.com.